Have you ever thought about that while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb? I did. I actually bought two homes in Albuquerque that I Airbnb'd, and it was just an amazing investment, honestly, because, you know, as you are accruing value in your property, you are also making money on the Airbnbs. It's amazing. So your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila is a must-have. It's an award-winning tequila. It's infused with real juice, with real fruit, which means the flavors are built in. It's real. So you need like two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Hey, um, you know how I'm always trying to keep my house parties exciting? New cocktails? <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay, well, here's something that's going to flip the script. Okay. All right. 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about this, right. Oliver Hudson. Yeah, 21 Seeds is an award-winning tequila that's infused with juice from real fruits. You only need two to three ingredients to make the perfect cocktail. Wait a minute. I think I know what brand you're talking about. You know why? Yeah. Because 21 Seeds is founded by two sisters and their friend. It's female founded. That's right. See? Sounds See like how I know? Something I can get behind. I know. Well, there's a good story behind that for sure. Listen, if you love tequila... You have to try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds Diageo, New York, New York. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Kate Hudson. And my name is Oliver Hudson. We wanted to do something that highlighted our relationship. And what it's like to be siblings. We are a sibling rivalry. No. No, sibling rivalry. Don't do that with your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Sibling rivalry. That's good. Stella McCartney and Mary. Stella and Mary. Stella and Mary. Mary. Stella and Mary McCartney. Mary McCartney. You know, it's funny because you know way better than I, but how many different English accents there actually are. There's so mm-hmm. many. Yeah, there's, there's just a ton. so many. Yeah, I mean, every every little nook and cranny of England has a different type of accent. It's pretty Do cool. Think- the girls actually, the girls, you know, Stella and Mary have some American influence in their accent so there are certain things that stella will say that sound more american than a typical sort of you know born and raised english girl but that's because of their mom yeah no i know and i watch religiously um the great british bake-off so i just love the show so much british baking show baking show hold on hey what's happening Oh. Your life gives me anxiety. Like no wonder. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Your dogs give me anxiety. 
I know. Maybe that's the problem. Okay, we're keeping this in because I want everyone to just experience what I'm experiencing. But anyway, so the great British baking show, love, and it's everyone has, everyone has a different accent. And some of these some of these people, there's one woman in the last one, I, I could, couldn't even understand her, but she, I think she was from Liverpool. Oh yeah, Liverpool. It was crazy. Anyway, all this to say that I fully understood Stella and Mary McCartney, 100% clear. And everything they say. Holy Oliver, shit. Oliver, this is unacceptable. This hey, is an, what the fuck? <laughs> this is an ah. unacceptable introduction from my best friend. I mean, she's like my best friend. The good thing is, is we are going to keep this in because she'll get a kick out of this. But so let me just talk while Oliver's, <laughs> Oliver's doing this. So Stella and I have known each other. I met Stella when I was like 18 and we became really fast wonderful friends and we've been friends ever since and i was so excited to interview awesome. her and mary and of course i've had over the last two decades had amazing back. <laughs> amazing times with the girls um uh, but mary i really didn't meet mary until she did a photo shoot um with me when i was doing when stella was launching her lingerie and that's when i met mary and she's just so wonderful and lovely and um the whole family is truly amazing so it's really nice it was nice to talk to them together about what it was like growing up and yeah i was scared to sort of uh, i was scared to ask any real questions and i also felt like the third wheel so i had to like i had to work my way in there because you guys are all so tight you know and it was yeah. all this banter i'm like oh god what do i do like Yesterday, oh my troubles <laughs> so far away. <laughs> no, but Ollie, you know what was amazing was we realized that you guys had never met. It was like yeah. so weird. I mean, we have like real memories of of friendship, Stella and I, and like the fact that you guys have never met is so crazy, and kind of just validates how I have this like other weird life somewhere else, you know, it's like across oh, yeah. the pond that you never come to Europe. You never come to England. No, you, no way. You, and, and I have this whole weird life over there that you've never seen. I know, but you, you have a, you know, especially back in the day, it was like Penny Lane is in my ears and you were in that whole world. <laughs> So we talked about growing up on their organic farm and mm -hmm. we talked about their close relationship throughout their lives and they moved around a lot. You know, it was sort of like they had this really simple English countryside farm life. And then mm -hmm. like they'd get on the plane and they'd be like, okay, Paul would be like, kids, let's go, you know, to Stade de France for four nights <laughs> and they mm -hmm. go play, you know, four nights in a stadium in France or all over the world. I mean, so they had a very interesting, yeah, that was a, you know, strong juxtaposition of lifestyle. Yeah. But they're very, I mean, like yeah, you said, sure. you know, we, we come from, you know, a celebrity family, but we don't come from the Beatles. I mean, that's Paul McCartney. I mean, that's just crazy, but they seem so cool. Well-adjusted. They're obviously in love. These two sisters, um, there's so much fun. And even though I haven't met them, I felt like I had at the end of it. It was like I was just a part of the crew. Fun girls. Ollie, why don't you introduce Stella and Mary McCartney?
Blackbird singing in the dead of the night. <laughs> okay, ladies, welcome to our podcast. This is really fun for me. So for context. Aw, you guys are so cute. So um, for context, Stella and I have known each other. We met, actually, do you remember the first time we met? If, it, if we both are on the same reality, in my view, it was that when I won Fashion Designer of the Year at the VH1 Vogue. That's right, darling. <laughs> so we met at the, and there was an after party. Do you remember the after party? Oh, I don't yeah, remember yeah. that because I was so completely blown away that David Bowie had given me the yeah. award and wow. he never leaves the room. And I was like, fuck, David, am I allowed, are we allowed to actually use blasphemy? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. fuck, fuck, fucking fuck then. <laughs> yes. Um, so David gave the award and then they had my, and it was funny because it was, oh, I don't know if I can say it. Anyway, there was a bit of sort of hesitance with David and then I turned around and dad was there and it was like a surprise. It was a double whammy. So I don't know if I remember much after that, but I remember meeting Well, we went to a party. The after party, Anthony Hopkins had a rave. (laughs) (laughs) Who else do we name (laughs) Anthony Hopkins? threw a rave. I walked out walking in on the the queen taking a dump and I was so embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) We went, there was an after party. I forget where it was. It was the queen's New York apartment. We have to name drop as many people as we can in this story. It was? No, it wasn't. The, I'm not sure if the Queen of England. I'm not talking about Queen. Oh, of the Queen of England. It was her. Yeah, yeah. So the Queen was there. Um, no, so so we went. It was it was at some like hotel at downtown, and I remember because it was the first time we met, and I remember walking in after the this the whole thing, and you were standing there with Keith Richards in the doorway, checking people's clothes as they walked in feeling them yeah. <laughs> going like, for fur and for leather yeah, and making sure everybody knew how you felt about it. <laughs> how can I not remember that moment? Oh, 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 I remember. I was like, I was like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm feeling everybody's clothes. <laughs> feeling you. And did you go and leave the party at that stage? Or did you go feel me? I ran yes. out. <laughs> she went and changed. But that's where we first met. And then from then on, we've been friends forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I've heard of you guys forever. I've never just, I've never met. I don't know. I don't know why. We're really good friends because I felt you in such a way that you're like, I want to know her longer and better and deeper. It's true. We had a lot of, a lot of fun, a lot of fun nights, days, a lot of good laughs, a lot of good tears. And then I met Mary. Mary, do you remember when we first met? I do not, but all my just favorite not. people, I don't. What I was thinking about is one of my favorite Kate moments is when we, one of the last times we all met was when Stella and I flew over and we were going to Coachella that epic weekend where dad was playing. And you literally, we got off the the plane and you like drove in like on the spot on time and like opened the door. I had my new, the iPhone had just started doing all that slow-mo and I was like opening the windows, filming you and Stella's hair blowing and slow-mo. <laughs> well, the first time we met was when we did a photo shoot. Yes. We have actually- Oh yes, in that bed in the Barclay yeah. Hotel. 
And we were that's like, right. we were repeat playing. Wait, that's three. when you first met her? Yeah. No, I met you before in New York, in King Street. Yeah, but that's the first time we, like, connected. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We had you met. were basically naked, babe, on a bed. <laughs> I was naked. I was like, let's get to know each other. So and then I wore Stella's. I should tell you, in my, in my, it was a professional shoot Have as you a met photographer. Her? Are you now not a little bit bummed that you haven't met us? <laughs> yes, I am. And um, if you get a chance, you should photograph me naked rolling around because... In my underwear. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, then it's, I have to put Creep by Radiohead on repeat because that's literally the only song we played the whole time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stella, do you do... You, have you done men's underwear yet? And then, Stella, you can style him. No, but I will do it. I'll do it for you. I'll make one pair... Of men's. <laughs> oh, a one of one. Uh, or we could I do an NFT underwear knickers. for me. Oh, that's good. Men's knickers is how we should yeah. phrase it. Well, guys, let's get into it. So um, we Very always start asking with asking about where you grew up. Um, I mean, you you guys obviously it's a very iconic story. Your father, Paul McCartney, married your beautiful mother, Linda. Linda is American. Was American. And did you always consider yourself? Half English, half American. I always, I remember saying to people, we were half Liverpudlian, half American, because our accent <laughs> was this weird sort of combination of like going to visiting family in Liverpool, and then we go to Scotland, and we grew up in London, and then we'd go to New York to see family all the time. So I always would say we were very much half American, half English. Yeah, a little more American at the beginning, actually. I think in. Just, yeah, I would say. Well, just because we spent more time, I think, with our American side of the family. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it came to food or when it came to, like, kind of, I don't know, we were like, I feel like a lot of my memories were more America. But definitely 50-50. But I, w- I would always say that we were very bilingual and that I would say raspberry. But where but yeah. where was home like base? As a kid, we where born, was, like, we home base? You we know? were born in London. London. We're Londoners. But we grew up. On an organic farm in East Sussex. So that really is where we grew up. Because London, we were born in London, but we moved quite quickly to a a very sort of isolated farm. So we had a weird kind of upbringing between cities, going on tour, being in stadiums with 200,000 people, clapping at our parents and freaking out. And then we go back to a state school in southern England on, you know, in a field with rabbits hopping around. Mm. So great. I think that's one of the reasons we're so close is because we're two years apart in age. Like all of the sort of traveling and moving around, we would do. Stan and I were always sort of each other's company and always by each other's side. So, And James okay. is, it's just the, the three of you with your mom and dad, yeah? Yeah. And James is how old? Seven years younger. Six maybe? years younger than me. Our sister Heather as well. If you've watched the Get Back, oh yeah, Back, Heather. That's yeah. Right. If you've watched the Get Back documentary, she's the little cute blonde New Yorker that comes in all the time, skipping around. And if oh. you haven't watched the Get Back documentary, then we're going to just hang up now. So <laughs> <laughs> I've started it. I've started it. I oh, have finished it. it. It's so inspirational. It's crazy, and it's so humanizing. You know, it's like you have this idea of this iconic band, and that they just shit gold. But the truth is, is it's just they're a band, you know, and they, they're just feeling it out and they're doing it. It happens to be iconic sort of epic music. George Harrison leaves and they're like, eh, okay, like, let's but keep going. Also, and I'm like, what the fucking, a Beatles just left. It's and they're like, oh, eh, whatever. It's also a bit more than that in the 
sense that I think everyone bought into the fact that they were enemies then. So it's sort of like opening a lid on the fact that they were collaborating, creating, going through the process. So it's incredible. Mm. Yeah, and it also really, I think, hones in on the dynamic. Your father is just a worker. Like, he works. He's like a machine. Well, I think what's interesting about this moment is it's a family. And I think we all have one thing that connects us all quite well, I think, is a love of family. And then we have our careers, and that's another family. And I think that we're very lucky and blessed in that respect that we have those two perspectives, all of us. When did it hit you that there was something abnormal about your family? You know, because I know for us, there's like that moment where it just is until you actually kind of realize like, oh, my parents are... I think for me, I mean, I was very aware, like when I got to an age where you would, you paid attention to what was number one in the charts or, you know, you started getting involved, you know, and we grew up in an era where music videos started to happen, VH1 started to happen, MTV. So I became aware of it when I saw dad and mum on telly. I was less aware of it when I was very young, when I watched them on stage in Wings, for example. Right. It didn't occur to me. But I remember becoming aware when I was at school and Dad was number one with Michael Jackson. And right, I with like, Michael oh, on the mm-hmm. on the carriage. Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah. oh, God. I was like, oh, God. You know, Dad, really, Ebony and Ivory, you for real? So, you know, it was like there was kind of a horror and embarrassment attached. I guess, you know, you, you would have had it. I'm sure you missed the bus and you're like, no, you can drop me off here, Dad. And you'd like, mm-hmm. oh, God, you know, you didn't want to. So I think I was aware, probably early teens, personally. But then also there's a funny thing that um, I was thinking about the other day. We would do, we just be, because, you know, you guys know, it's sort of everyone goes like, well, was there a moment? But in a way, it's your family. So your, your family is the norm that you know. So we mm-hmm. did grow up going on tour and things. But more like when we would watch TV and we'd have, like, TV with dinner with on our laps on the sofa, on the couch, watching TV. And then dad would come in and start playing a song on the guitar, like acoustic. And we'd be like, dad, could you like go somewhere else to play this, please? Right. <laughs> we are watching the television. And he's like, but I was going to say, your dad always ends up at some instrument somewhere. And, yeah. And so he'd be like, anywhere. but do you know how many people would be desperate for me? And I was, I suppose that's a bit like, oh, Yes, you are Paul McCartney, but could you go and do it? And someone like we're watching this, we respect you, and you are, but like we're watching. Right, but I please, I'm I'm trying to watch. Television. It's like when mom would show up to hot lunch in like an outfit, and oh, I'd just yeah. be like, I can't, you just want I your can't. parents to be like like every everybody else. Yeah, just, just like wear sweats you and like say mom turned up to hot lunch. Is that what you just said? Yeah, like mm-hmm. if she was passing out pizza, like it wasn't was, like a you know, normal mom. She was volunteering as the parent <laughs> in the school. If there's any British people listening, hot lunch, it's not a thing on this, uh, over here. Hot lunch, hot lunch. It, no, we don't do it. It's like, what is hot lunch? Lunch is lunch, whether it's... No, well, no, no but, 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 but no, yeah, a hot lunch. School provides a, a lunch that is steaming. It's just that is, the yeah. idea of your mother turning up to hot lunch in a hot outfit. She's fit. She's fit lunch. Well, maybe maybe she didn't understand it either. That's why she was wearing all these outfits. The hot clothes. Now I understand what hot lunch is. Say no more. But now, but mum would wear like odd socks and she would put together her own looks. I mean, she was hugely influential. Like she'd wear designer and then something she bought from a, you know, a, a vintage store and then wear something secondhand and put it all together and like, 
break things up. And, I mean, I found that was quite embarrassing, but now I'm so proud of it. I saw something the other day that cracked me up so bad. So I had a birthday party recently, it was 70s, and I was looking through all my mum and dad's clothes, like all their wings stuff, because it was 70s, and I found this pair of dungarees with like, did like amazing dungarees like they're like all embroidered with wings on the pockets on the arse oh no like can I have them studs everywhere and like this patch shirt and I just assumed they were mums and I was like oh I'm gonna rock like a dungaree look to my party these are fierce I'm gonna get her like platforms put them on they're tiny tiny then my daughter Bailey is like oh wear them they've got flares like you die and then I saw something literally yesterday with dad's like Hi, 70s, he's got his mullet, full mullet, <laughs> wings, and he's like, hi, I'm Paul, and he's rocking the dungarees. <laughs> <laughs> those, those moments are pretty precious. Yeah. But are, are all those Stella's clothes archive. archived and saved? All Stella's the archive is insane. Yeah, I've got, well, no, I, I, there's a lot of it's kept, actually, with funny. I don't know if your, your mum kept her stuff. If she didn't, I hate that. She did my heart. But... <laughs> Because I do, Dad, it's good. Like, he kept a lot, and Mum and Dad kept a lot. We, they kind of kept, I think they knew that it was important. And also, it, it was a huge part of my career, looking at their wardrobe, because it was all stage gear from the 70s, a, lot, a little bit of his Beatles stuff too. But they sh- what I realised is they shared a wardrobe. So my earliest memories, like, looking up at their clothes, but it was, like, all one. So it was very androgynous and very, like, and I things I presumed were his. What, mm. Sorry, were hers, yeah. were his. That's, and that's I think it's such a big part of how I design, that whole kind of like you're borrowing your boyfriends, you're borrowing, you know, um, how did we get there? But I speak to a lot of people like George, for example. I've been to his archive at Olivia's house and he's got a few things. And like jo- I speak to Sean Lennon, he's like, John didn't keep anything, Yoko kept nothing. And mm. so I feel to you, that's like... That's Going back to the documentary real quick, but in a fashion sense... One thing that stood out, aside from sort of the music and the Beatles creating, was... Paul's eyelashes. No, was everyone coming into the (laughs) studio looking fabulous. And was this something that they thought about before they get up in the morning? Did they lay out their clothes or did they just throw shit on? Because everything was um, incredible. If they did, I think it dismisses everything that's cool about them. There's no way they laid out. But it is... (laughs) Astonishing to, I mean, the fashion, mm. you can see why one of the children had to be a fashion designer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a thousand percent. But, but also, I'm, at the moment, I'm directing this documentary about the um, history of Abbey Road Studios because it's 90 years of Abbey Road. And in interviewing wow. people, um, they mm. kind of say that London at that time mm. was like black and white. It was just sort of very much suits and a shirt and a tie yeah. and like, and then when you a got to the, hat, and a bowler hat, they said yeah. when you got to the sixties, it felt like everything turned technicolor. Yeah. So I think mm. that they were dressing like a yellow shirt or this and just sort of collecting things. But it's so amazing because when you watch Get Back, it's like George is like insane. I mean, like all of them is insane. And yeah. George, George is George. so hot. George it's crazy. Was, like it's crazy. The thing is like, oh, <laughs> that music. It's almost like it really is magical. It holds, so, like, the, the way that young kids respond to it is something that do- doesn't happen really with any other band. Now we're looking at three generations responds to it similarly, obsess, become obsessed, you well, know? it's definitely a completely connected tissue. It's one of the a very... But let's talk things. about your guys' childhood. Did you like, ever... I want to... I will, too, yeah, but did you ever... This leads into that. Did you ever hate being the daughter of 
Your parents? Meaning like, Jesus, it's just so much, you know? Like, please leave us alone. I just want to live a normal life. I never hated it. I was, I definitely chose to not go into that world because I, I hated everyone else around it, to be honest. I yeah. didn't hate it or them. I hated mm-hmm. the media for quite a long time. I, I was very angry at how mean they were to mum, how mean they were and ridiculed us for being vegetarians. You know, which of course now is like, you know, we were pretty ahead of our time there. I, I, I was, I hated other aspects of it. I didn't love getting pulled out of school to go on the road when I was like eighteen. I was a bit bummed, but I never, I never, yeah. ever. It would, I mean, I, I and never then, even thought of it. Also, we went to like a state school, like a normal school, local school. So even though it's it's great because we were around normal people and it was a really good grounding upbringing. We still did stand out quite a lot in that area. Mm-hmm. So there were times where it was like really awkward and you felt yeah. a bit awkward. Right. And it's know, about also to understand like, how do you know who likes you for you? You know, how do you know what friends want to be a part of your life because of you? That's why we found each other. <laughs> I think so. I think we yeah. going to the schools we went to, we probably had less of that because it was so normal. Like if they were nice to you. It was, it was the local village kind of vibe, so. Yeah, it's almost weird, isn't it? It's almost like the opposite. People think that they'd want to be your friend, but it's actually, at least for girls, maybe, like it was harder for me to have friends because. Yeah, girls are harsh. I think yeah. also, you're also just more paranoid, aren't you, being in our situation? You know, you kind of like walk in the room, you go, do they know? We used to go under a different name for most things. But the thing is, is that you guys had what we had, like it, which is, which is, which is a testament to all of our parents. Like there was an, a very conscious decision to not be yeah. enmeshed in the world all the time. Like we moved to Colorado, we grew up on a ranch, you guys were in the country. There was this sort of understanding that yeah. our parents had of us to be in nature and to be, to have like a more normal, simple. And I, you know what? I don't think our parents, were your parents like this? I don't think they cared so much what people thought about them. And I know when I spoke to mom about it, be like, how did you feel when people were like saying you dressed horribly and then why is he married to her? And she was like, I really, as long as the people that I love, love me, I really don't care what other people mm-hmm. think. And I think maybe that's what got us all through her. I mean, how do you all feel about the fact that we're not doing that? Like, I struggle so hard with the fact that my company's in London. All all the time. We talk about it all the time. I'm lucky enough that I have a farm in the country and we go every weekend and I have four, like, we have that too. But my kids are in the system in London and I am so freaked out about it. Yeah, it's no, so I mean, crazy I, I, it's not what you would have expected. Five years ago, six years ago, I took the kids, Mike, I have three kids, out of L.A., and moved to Colorado for two years and put them in school there just so they could at least have or have the opportunity to have what Katie and I had. You know? What ages did you do that? I have 14, 11, and 8. That's all they are now. Yeah, so um, it was early ages. It was a little earlier, and it was it was incredible. I mean, it's just that freedom, that independence, that you don't have to worry about them. They don't have to worry about themselves. They they get to feel what it's like to be alone and deal with them. I know. Deal with just being... Get bored. But don't you also find, I mean, that takes such balls. And I'm so annoyed at myself. I haven't got the bollocks to just go, you know, know. What? and especially after COVID, okay, where we can do everything on Zoom. Like, we don't have to do it. So I know. What, like, it makes me think even more how our parents really were like special, special, you know. All four of us speaking, though, the bonus is that we had a childhood without the phones and being contactable all the time. We could go out, like YouTube could go out, 
play around and come back when you were hungry and that and no, nobody really watching you and so oh, we did we yeah. did have that growing up and Stella and I in Scotland we would go out in the morning and we just literally walk you and I would build camps together we'd collect things we'd make games up out and there are greatest memories and that's that's what makes us so close like I was on a photo shoot in Scotland and I saw a flower that reminded me of Stella and I took a picture and sent it and she knew I was like I don't need to say a thing I was with this person I was like wait I'm gonna get a response back immediately (laughs) and she's like Mm -hmm. on like laughing and it just takes you right back to that moment just looking at one flower so how did your parents actually meet? They met. My our mother was a photographer, a professional photographer, and uh-huh. pretty much started Rollingstone magazine. So they handily, might I add, I, young, when I found her work. First woman to have a cover of Rolling Stone magazine, Linda McCartney, right? So they were, dad, mom, mom had taken pictures. Do you know the... Um, the animals, House the Rising Sun, that song. Yeah. So mum, I know this story about because when I became a photographer, I sat mum down and I like interviewed her about her career because suddenly you care about what you're, you're like, oh, I've never paid any attention to her. Mm-hmm. We were like, she made it look so easy. And then it was like, hang on, I need to ask you yeah. that. But anyway, they were, at, uh, she was in, she had done a photo shoot with the animals in New York. And then she was in London on a photo assignment and they, Eric Burden said from the animals, said, when you're in London, I'll take you out. And she took... Because they all fancied the pants with mum. And so they, they <laughs> were New Yorker. Like, she was this kind of Amazonian... Like, it was like, who are you? Where are you from? Like, natural, mm. long, no makeup, New York accent. Um, they hadn't really encountered many of those in, in um, London. Yeah. And she just fell in love with with rock and roll and and just like an amazing photographer. So they took her to, the animals took her to a club called the Bag of Nails in London in Soho. And dad bag then tells the Bag of Nails. What should I, I call bag, it? The Bag of Nails. Bag of Nails. Bag of Nails. Bag of Nails. And then he says he was sort of sitting in the club, but like on a balcony and he looked down across and he could see this blonde woman and she just really caught his eye. And she was there, and they obviously were playing eye contact games with each other. And then who was when they? Were, like, was that the Eric Clapton? No, then they no, they were in this club. Then then she got up to leave, and he said, "Oh, it was like I, she was leaving, so I had to like take my moment." He stood up and sort of stood in the in the hallway so and said, "Hi, I'm Paul." Like, well, and they introduced each other, and he was like, "That guy showing us like little goosebumps. Yeah. So cute. Can you imagine and that? So cute." Mm-hmm. Blocking her. Imagine being blocked by Paul McCartney in the period that you're talking about, by the way, because mm-hmm. she's pregnant with Mary in the Get Back documentary. So just picture that, Paul McCartney, blocking your way. <laughs> I don't mean to be weird, but... Yeah. With the eyelashes. Yeah. Oh, my God. He was hot. He was he hot was as so shit. Handsome. I was like, oh, I man. never thought about it like that, Paul, until I saw... That beard. It was just like, yeah, I was like, he's God, like- he's so... Put together and handsome. Yeah, I would have made love uh, to him back then. Peter Jackson sure. and the technology he used that because that's sixteen mil film and he blew it up into they all look like oh, it's so amazing. It, it you can see it differently. You feel like you're actually there. It's such a different experience. Um, okay, so then they meet at Bag of Nails, and then how many years later is she pregnant with the first? Now wait, Heather. Heather, she yes. had a daughter. She had Heather, was and fine. then they were. And how she was in New York, and then eventually she moved over. 
hand on my hand. Okay. And then you were, how many years later were you born after they met? You? I don't know. I was born in six. A hot, illegal minute. Oh, Literally, no, like, like, like immediately like pregnant. And <laughs> after bag of nails. Like six months later, baby in the oven. No, I think we met 67 and then she went back to America and then oh, they came back and um, then she moved. Okay, so it was a couple years later. Oh, I thought it was a bitch. I know nothing. That's why I'm letting Mary do all the talking. So you were, do you remember when Stella was born? No, because I was only two. How do you not remember this being born? Oh, <laughs> oh, her little red hair coming out like. Stella has always been dramatic because when. She was born, mum um, had a, like, she had to have an emergency cesarean because she was placenta, pre, the placenta was in the way. So Stella, oh. if it wasn't from modern technology, my little sis wouldn't be here. So. And mum, probably. Yeah. Oh. Mm, yeah. I was emergency C. I, like, yeah. ate shit and died because I was in there too long and I took a dump. Meconium was in the <gasps> flu and I went... <gasps> And had meconium aspiration. He was in IC, the NICU for... If UK, do not make him a t-shirt that says I ate shit and died. I almost ate shit and died. I will not be your friend anymore. I ate shit and almost died. I ate shit and almost died. Almost is quite good. Almost is a critical addition to that. What was your first memory of Stella, Mary? Um, we, we shared a bedroom. We were shared, we were in London and we shared a bedroom and it's, my memories are literally as they carried on, they started as they meant to carry on. We were in a bed near, next to each other and we would just talk and then we would run around together and if one of us had to go to the bathroom, we'd wake the other one up and we'd run into the bathroom together and keep each other company. There were witches under our bed. There were witches under our bed. Literally jump off the bed. Did you and have witches under your bed? I still have witches under yeah. my bed. I, I am the witch the in witch my bed. Right. She goes under her own bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm then, a witch so under we, my own bed. We were always that close. And then and then we went through like our more teens kind of competitive years, but we still shared friends. And then when mom died, I would say all of the, any of that competitive kind of rivalry thing well were you guys always really close or was there that moment where it was close and then there was a separation because of that competitive spirit and there was there was, what it was is well so we went to the country when i was about five and we we mum and dad basically were strange creatures and they chose to just do the exact opposite of what one would expect so we went to scotland and we lived in a house basically as big as the room that we're in which is not a massive room all six of us, one toilet, you know, like all of the four children at that stage in one room, bunk beds, you know. And so we moved from London and we moved to a round house in the middle of a forest in the south of England. And we shared a bedroom. Me and Mary and our other sister Heather and our youngest brother lived in a cot in the dining room. And, um, you know, you'd bump your head in the morning and all that kind of stuff. Why am I telling you this? Oh, and so what happened was not only did we get to a stage where we, I think we just all lived on top of each other. So right. Mary became like 14, 15, 16 and had all her friends. And I was like, can I be your friend? Can I be your gang? And it was just like, no, back off. You're really annoying. And these are my friends and these are my clothes. And just, but they're still all your friends. But then they're all my friends. They're all like me more anyway. But the point <laughs> is that I remember. So we never separated. Harsh, 
kind of competitiveness at that, that age. It was just like, no, you can't borrow my jeans. That was mm-hmm. yeah. that, that was harsh enough for me. And then, like typical sibling, yeah. like this is just annoying. Like, I'll design my get out of my stuff. Yeah, I'll you. My <laughs> and then you'll want my jeans. Um, but, but then. Um, then I think there was probably when we both started to find our careers, I think mm. unspoken, which we don't really talk about, there was probably a bit of a sense where, like, you know, then I went to St. Martin's, I was in London, you were in London, and we were both kind of a bit, you know, we were had a bit of a thing where I had, I was doing fashion, you were starting to do we photography. Never, we never fell out. We, never, no, we never fell out, but I think we secretly were a bit like... Like when you went to Chloe, I came and was taking Yeah, I mean, it's true. We, I think we, we've always supported each other very much. So not I just shot those in my career, my um, campaigns, mm-hmm. like early campaigns. Yeah. She mm-hmm. did some of my best campaigns. Oh, cool. It's good fun when we work together because, you know, we're both quite tough on ourselves. We're like, anything you do... You want to do it better? We're like, did I do it? You know, so so with Stella, it wasn't like, oh, I'm taking pictures for Stella. It was like a proper shoot. It was like she, as a client, she would always let you as an artist, as a photographer, go further than most other people would. Like she'd let it be dark and you didn't have to overlight things and it doesn't have to show the clothes off so much. It can be a vibe. So mm. I've always loved working with Stella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really fun too because Stella, you know, from my perspective as well, and probably the same, because I mean, we were right out of high, I was right out of high school and we were so little. And, but like the love for the art of like fashion, I mean, it was always, like you were always doing it. You were always in a vintage store. You were always looking at old lace. Like I remember being in Paris with Stella, we were like, vintage shopping. Like, no matter where we were, you were always creating, even before, you know, these were Chloe days, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was nice is that first campaign we did together with Kate Moss, we used mom, I used mom's Polaroid yeah. camera, her 10x8, yeah. I used mom's 10x8 camera, and we had all Polaroid film. Yeah. So it's like a proper... Yeah. Perfect. But I remember actually doing that shoot. You did that shoot with... Oh, was yeah. It, was it for another magazine? That double page spread. What the double pay with Chris. Like, with Chris? Yeah. Wow, that was right. an amazing photo. I'm obsessed with Outer Known. I've been obsessed with Outer Known. I've been obsessed with Kelly Slater, just in general, for a long time. I don't want Kelly Slater's wife to be upset with me, but I do call Kelly my boyfriend in the house. (laughs) I know. I know. He's an incredible dude. I mean, he just won, I think it was Pipe Masters. I mean, at age 50 or 51. It's crazy. 50 looks great. He looks looks hot. So not only is Kelly Slater hot, we love this brand of clothes. I love what he's doing with it. He is very focused on sustainability and that's his mission. You know, when you love the ocean and you're in it all the time, I think you really look around and you're like, I can't believe how careless people are and how they trash our waters. And mm-hmm. so he's decided to, you know, give back, create this line. It's incredible stuff. It's men and women's clothing. And Aaron has like 80 of the jumpsuits that I've gotten over the years. I have been a fan of Outer Known since the launch of it. I have C jeans. I've got... Like, I don't know, maybe four of his ponchos. Well, let's talk about some of the best-selling things so people know which ones. There's the blanket shirt, which is their all-time bestseller. Yep. So it's like the coziest shirt. Yep. So it feels as good as it sounds. It's like mm-hmm. a blanket. And everyone should have one of these blanket shirts in their closet. So there's that. 
Then their jumpsuits. So the jumpsuits, like you're saying, Aaron, that's another one of their best sellings. They're easy. They're super flattering. Yeah. I just got a purple one. It's really cute. Um, so go to outerknown.com today and enter the code sibling at checkout and you'll get 25% off your full price order. That's outerknown.com. O-U-T-E-R-K-N-O-W-N.com. And remember to use the code sibling at checkout for 25% off. Check them out today, outerknown.com. And don't forget promo code sibling. Just type it in, S-I-B-L. 25%. That's going to give you some good dollars back. Let's go. Let's go. You're going to love it. Um, I have a story about Blue Land because I actually saw this during COVID. I was doing like a rehaul of everything in my house because I basically Mm -hmm. didn't know what to do with myself. So I turned everything inside out. And I started to look up like, what are the best possible hand soaps and, you know, surface, cleaning surface items, things like that. And I found Blue Land and I Mm. came across it and I ordered it and it came and I was completely obsessed. It's like a refill bottle. They're these beautiful bottles. They look Mm -hmm. amazing. They're super chic. And then you put these little refills in them. And it's like very easy to do, super eco-friendly. And uh, one of the things I learned is that 5 billion plastic hand soaps and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. Jesus. I mean, that's insane. It's crazy. 5 billion. Yeah. So just to explain real quick, just to be clear. So Blue Lands, their bottles are, are amazingly beautiful, number one. So fill them with warm water. You pop in one of the hand soaps or the spray cleaner tablets. And, and within minutes, you have a cleaning product, a powerful cleaning product in the most incredible sense. So there's there's iris agave, there's there's lemon, there's lavender, eucalyptus. And that's that's the vibe. Right. And then they have a, they have a kit. So like, that's what I got. I got mm-hmm. the cleaning essentials kit. Um, I also got their hand. I kind of bought everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, right now you can get 20% off your first order. When you go to blueland.com slash sibling, that's 20% off your first order of any blue land products at blueland.com slash sibling blueland.com slash sibling. Do you, do you remember your first piece? Like, do you have that first piece that you ever designed? Um, I don't know where it is, but I remember it. I was 12 and it was the um, first thing I designed and made. And even then it was the faux suede. So it was completely plant-based and vegan. And it was like a, a very 80s bomber jacket and like salmon pink with like a, a reversible. And you, you, you made it. I mean, you made it yourself. And, yeah, I don't know and- where it is though. I need to find it. I'm sure it's somewhere. You know, the thing is, is there's very few people, you know, that have like talked to talk, walk the walk from the very beginning. And like the foundation of your guys' life, food, the kitchen, organic farm, being a vegetarian, uh, incorporating that into your world, into your business, all the environmental stuff. I want to talk about how your mom created that for you guys. What was that like as a kid? And did you reject it? Were there moments where you were like... I want to be like every other kid, you know? No, mom loved cooking in the home. The kitchen was the the part of the home, like classically. And when they became vegetarian, they sat us down. They were like, we're going to become vegetarian. And because we 
were eating lamb and we looked out and we saw the lamb in Scotland and we've like connected that we were eating lamb but we were looking at cute lambs so they were like look we don't want to cook mum's like I don't want to cook meat anymore and so then dad was like we were like what do you do then there's a hole on the plate what are we gonna eat so we've grown up as a family always discussing that so and I think mum I think that was the the great thing about her she's a great cook and you know we both learned to cook watching her Mary now has her own you know plant-based tv show that you've been on Mm-hmm. Um, you know, been and on. I've been on, and um, <laughs> on you're gonna be on. <laughs> Little do you, Oliver's neck. I'll be on. And um, yeah. but you, I ate shit and nearly died. Have to wear that t-shirt for it. <laughs> That's what I'll wear on the show. <laughs> <laughs> shit is plant-based. Yeah, okay. it is. <laughs> you know. Well. Well, depends I mean, on at the time. At the time in the womb, it was it's definitely, definitely yeah. circular as well. If you look at it that way, it's like it, it kicks. Off. Right, it was vegan and, um, shit. Yeah. Um, so I think it's funny, it was always the heart of the home. And so yeah. food was like, we were, kitchen was the only thing, you know, we, we um, yeah. it was everything. And, you know, it's funny, I found a photograph the other day of me, it's like probably I'm one year, I'm not even one. And mum's um, in Scotland over the cooker and she's leaning over, looking in the oven and I'm like draped on her back. And yeah. it's just so cute. It's like I'm in an all-in-one. It's like, oh, yeah. but I think all of that stuff, it was, it's just was the and, and I think it we came come from a very creative family yeah. and food was creative. It was it was part of the creative but process. So it's it about wasn't a necessity, it was like creativity. Mm. And no, and also it's about I think, you know, when they sat us down like we're not gonna eat meat, it wasn't like, okay, we're not gonna eat meat. It's like, what are we gonna eat then? Yeah. Well, how are you gonna do it? And I, that's what I love about our family is yeah. they'd be like, so what are we gonna have for what are yeah. we gonna have for the festive holidays? We need something to slice. What are we gonna have for because we never wanted to be apologetic and make it be like, oh, to be to not to eat cruelty free means that you eat taste free. That is not anything we've ever abided by in our family. Yeah, and I think it's true, you know, not only is it a creative family, but it's it's a go-getter type of family. And I think, you know. Mum created her food brand, her vegetarian food brand in 1991. And again, it was completely unheard of. That It was pretty embarrassing. Yeah. It was like vegetarian sausages and veggie burgers. But, None existed but in that the world, came, I don't think. There was one brand in America that was for religious reasons. Like, yeah. And so food was not only the home of, you know, the heart of the home brought us all together and tasted really good, but it also became a kind of point of difference we were made fun of. I mean, I was thinking, yeah, mum and dad, were they the first celebrities on The Simpsons? Like that, I want to find no. out. No, they're no. not. No, I don't think so. Okay. But they were. Oh. I don't think <laughs> that. But, but anyway, that was all a bit vegetarian and it was like, you know, yeah. there was they, always a bit of a, a kind of, we had to stick up for ourselves a bit. It was like, no. Well, you know what's great yeah. now is it's not like it because it was. Would, would you go out for dinner? And then people are like, are you going ever? No, no. What it no, it's no, like, no, why it's are you having a go at me? Like, I've yeah. never met you. Like, so you sit next to someone. It's like, I'm not having a go at you. But now it's very much more of a, a different world. Like, you can have conversations. Were you guys ridiculed and stuff because yeah. of it? You know, I mean, yeah. you were seriously the pioneers of vegetarianism. Yeah, a lot of bad food. It was like, yeah. you were vegetables really. and like, you know, we don't really eat stuffed peppers or couscous. We literally, if you give us a bad vegetable, <laughs> we, we're like, oh, really? Like, it's punishment. But it still exists. It's still there. <laughs> you know, if you go on, a, on an airline, the food is still like, 
I mean, I have to say, I'm surprised. I don't think I'll mention the Ellen, but you know who you are. They don't have like plant-based milk. It's like, what is that? How can there not be yeah. alternative milk in every everywhere now? Like that's yeah. nuts. You, and yeah, it's nuts. That idea that it's like you no know, normal. Like, no, no, I'll have normal. Milk. It's like, what is? That. Like even when even when like the most Western Western doctors are now saying, you know what, we probably shouldn't be drinking so much milk. Mm-hmm. Then maybe like, maybe everybody else needs to to have some yeah. plant based milk. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like we we're, we're very much like we and Mum was very good at this actually. We and we both learned a lot watching and observing that was you don't you know if you tell people what to eat and you tell them off and you make them feel bad you're just going to get them on the back foot they're going to hate you they're going to get aggressive and be defensive so it was always like trying to just go hey just try this see if you like it or don't even say it. like my vegan shoes and my vegan bags you would never know that my you know i put a mushroom i put the first ever mushroom leather bag on the runway in march in paris and you would never know it's made you know and that was always our little kind of secret. Psychedelic thing. mushroom. And I think that this is also like you, you, you can lick the, you can lick the bag. Oh That's yeah. That's part of the. You're speaking <laughs> Oliver's <laughs> language. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is, is that you, you were always like that. Like there was no, you weren't the friend that was like, you know, ever getting on me for eating a piece of meat or, a, but. I think the, try and the, entice the, you in though, or entice you, sort of like showing how to cook something that's quick and easy. Yeah, like you started when we started talking about Meatless Monday years ago, you know, and you started the whole Meatless Monday thing, and you can back that up with science, with science talking about the importance of taking a not only a day off meat for your own health. But the environment, what that does for the environment, there's so much that leans towards more of a plant, plant-based plant living that's an important thing for everyone to talk about versus it becoming like a war between the meat eaters and the plant-based eaters. Does because- it feel to you that that divide is better now? For me, I feel a bit less sort of put upon. I feel like we are able to talk about it and not be as judgmental of each other, do you feel? Oh, yeah, yeah. To play devil's advocate just for a second, and it's a question. Let's just say that meat went away. And now let's say that we need to plant enough vegetables to sustain life on earth as far as consumption goes. So now we're dealing with potential pollutions how we how how do we have sustainable got, farms to feed yeah. billions of people she knows every stella technology is the savior of all of this you know now you're looking at you know growing in small units using artificial light sources you know you, this the technology will be the answer and also you know growing in labs vertical farming less, water, less electricity less people less, you know not less people not less jobs creating new jobs creating new economies um not cutting down our rainforests not killing beautiful innocent creatures i think that's one of the things that gets missed and also one thing so i obviously am quite we are very passionate about this one thing that i think gets missed and one thing that i think people resonates with people that perhaps a little you know on the fence it's a human rights issue as much as an animal rights issue. If you look at the meat trade, do any of us want to work there on a minimum wage? If not slavery, to be honest, in some of the places in the world, I'd rather clean out toilets in an airport, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Like there is a mad, there is a question also of human rights and actually the disease-ridden environments that people are living in. 
let alone the billions of innocent creatures that get killed. And we, we don't need that many carrots, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. We don't need this much meat, you know. But could we eliminate the Monsantos, you know what I mean? From a practical point of view, I think, for instance, the soya that is grown on the planet, the majority of the soya and the land is fed to cattle to then. So I don't think that's a practical way of doing it. And also, in my belief, and I think Stella too, I don't think there is an easy answer. It is, I think we all admit, not anyone doing it for the wrong reasons, but it is a very broken food system and there's no Mm -hmm. easy solution. So it does need to be about people coming together and deciding. And realistically, I think... Most everybody that really, really studies this and, you know, much more on it than us agrees that plant protein, uh, animal proteins are not the way forward. I mean, I've never met any ox- anybody that ever says that. You know, we have a much greater chance of living longer if we eliminate our animal protein. Yeah. Like that is, we know that. We even, know that. Even fish? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can, There, there's... The fish industry is the most dangerous. Have you watched? Have you watched? Have you watched Seaspiracy? Oh, yeah. Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Oh, my I've God. I mean, fish down. really it's is a really good. It's, it's a really good documentary. It's the most depressing side yeah. effect. Of oh, oh, I mean, the, the oceans yes, are the oceans just are annihilated. Terrible. They've been annihilated. And they are one of our greatest sources of oxygen on this planet. Yep. And this, I mean, it, I think... And the and farming of fish, I mean, it is dark, dark, dark. Mm. The problem is it's so polluted and so so sort of Frankenstein now that it's a hard one. It's sort of, it all needs to become... It's, it's funny it's because it's about, a, yeah, it's it's about changing minds through sort of the education of health, but it's also, it's, it's commerce, it's capitalism. I mean, yeah. that's really what it is because if there was no money in tuna fishing, then they wouldn't do it. If there was no money in shark fins, they wouldn't do it. So it's like you got to get to the root of it in a sense. You have to replace bad industry with good industry if we are to survive. And we all know that. I mean, if you look at some of the biggest growing, um, you know, businesses over the last few years, it has been plant-based food. If you look at Mm -hmm. the, you know, impossible burgers, those are the investments that people wish they made. Rather, they give a damn about the planet or damn about cows. You know what I mean? So the same will happen. It will happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just moving. It's moving in that direction. Yes, and and I think the and thing is, it's very complicated, and there's so many facts, and there's no real answer. And it would just be great if everyone sort of accepted that it's a broken system and tried to figure out a really practical way. Because there's not that much time to get it together now. So Chrissy Hines does this great thing. She does this thing with this like you know more about it than me. It's some um, happy cows. And so it's not saying you can't drink milk, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's tiny little community of cows that are pregnant. They're allowed to be pregnant. Take a little mm-hmm. bit of the, you know, a little bit of the, the, you know, milk if you want it, but you don't kill the cow, take the baby away, make it venison, you know, the, yeah. you know, there's no hormones, there's no antibiotics. So it's just this, like, a, look, but it doesn't make money. But it doesn't make money. And it's, you know, but that kind of way. It's, that Ahimsa, it's the Ahimsa Dairy and it's run, it's in Rutland in England. But they and can't it's run fill by their demand. No, it's no, amazing. Sorry. They can't fill their demand because it's no. beautiful and it's pure and it's the way. Yeah. Going, this is where we're at. Going back time. to our upbringing, though, so mom, we, we had this incredible, you know, mum was a great cook. So just before we became vegetarian, she was a great cook. 
And then she would experiment and we'd all talk about things. And then people would come for dinner and they'd be like, well, look, if I could eat like this, if I had a meal like this every day, then I would eat more meat-free cooking. So eventually she ended up doing... Now amazing. But she ended up doing cookbooks. So she could just say, someone here, you can eat like this because here's all of our family recipes. So Mm. I think for us, that's the way it's sort of... Yeah. I find it. I can. I find personally that the, the it can become quite dark and depressing thinking about the industry, and I can't do much about that personally except say, look, the way to do it is by stopping demand. I think as a single person, and so mm-hmm. therefore we can give you recipes. We can come up with ideas. Let's talk about things. Let's get excited about food, eating it in the right way, and try and make it a bit more. Otherwise, it gets very doom and gloom. I think. So this is an exciting one for me and for you, Katie. Mm-hmm. We are actually partners. Partners with investors. You. We actually yes, put I, our hard-earned money into this company. That's right. That is right. So Future is an app. It is an app that is designed to keep people accountable to their fitness program. Oliver, you want to explain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Look, most people in, in, in fitness and in sports, right, they, they've got a trainer right next to them. Everyone has a coach. And this basically is putting that coach into the palm of your hand. So the idea is, is that, you know, you create an account, you follow the steps, you talk about what you want to accomplish in your training. They will match you to a coach, which you can actually pick from. There's there's many, many coaches to pick from who are incredibly so great. And you FaceTime your coach, you email your coach, you text with your coach, and you put together a routine based on what you want to accomplish. But more importantly, what's available to you. Exactly. Based on what's available to you, the resources that you have. And an Apple Watch, which I love. That's like my favorite part. Yeah, they send you an Apple Watch so they can keep track and monitor your progress. They can monitor your heart rates. They can monitor your recovery. They can monitor your pulse oxygen. You know, they really have their thumb on your fitness. So it's kind of bringing a human touch to digital fitness. This is really a personalized experience. So Mm -hmm. you're ready to invest in your long-term health and wellness. You can get started with your future coach right now with 50% off your first three months at tryfuture.com slash sibling. Again, that's tryfuture.com slash sibling. So Noom Mm -hmm. has launched a, a new app called Noom Mood. And this is really an app where you can learn to manage, you know, your anxieties, your stress, uh, something that I know we all want. And they uh, have created this app to help guide you to your mental wellness. Yeah, because because I will say this, having suffered anxiety and dealing with my 14-year-old right now who's going through some anxiety, you know, school anxiety and whatnot. A lot of people don't know where to start. You know, you have these feelings and you don't know what to do with these feelings. And, and, and New Mood is a great place to sort of that, that launch point. You know what I mean? Because sometimes it can get overwhelming. And, and this is a really a great platform to guide you. Yeah. I mean, they really hold your hand. So they create a daily curriculum. Uh, they also couple it with a one-on-one coach. So they guide you, encourage you on your journey. You know, they, they, they do really amazing things to really help you get into your groove 
you know, I, I always say the thing about, you know, when you're looking at your mental fitness, it is like physical fitness, but you have to put it into practice little bits at a time for you to feel this, like that muscle strengthening. And I think what new mood does is it helps you sort of bend, better understand your relationship with stress and, and, and negative thoughts and anxious thoughts. So you can take control of those thoughts and you can build the resilience and they will help you develop these coping mechanisms that actually work. Hey, worry less and feel happier. So sign up for your trial at noom.com slash sibling. That's N O O M.com slash sibling. That's N O O M.com slash sibling. I want to just touch a little bit on when your mom was diagnosed. And I think it's something that a lot of, unfortunately, people have experienced, but you guys were quite young. How old were you when your mom was diagnosed with breast cancer? Diagnosed is a question. Mid 20s. Yeah. I mean, she, the diagnosis, I never really that brought her very close together as well. When she actually passed. Stella and I shared a bed that night when we found out that news. <laughs> I remember, I mean, she passed away when I was 27, yeah. she was 29. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she sadly suffered four years, five years, no, maybe. two years of treatment. Two yeah. years, but oh, wasn't it? Oh, I felt like it was so much. It felt like forever, but it was two years. It was only two years. Mm. And and did that, yeah, did that bring you guys really close? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think those moments, sadly, everything we, is just... We turn to each other. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you don't have that, I mean, I think we have a thing in our family, it's like health is wealth. And really nothing else matters. So we, you know, we all have crazy lives and we all can get riddled with anxiety and, you know, all these things are something tiny can just be the biggest, biggest, you know, problem of the day. And um, I always, I think that's one thing as a family, it's like, it doesn't matter what happens, nothing compares to that. So it kind of puts things into perspective to say the very least. Um, and I think that it definitely brought us all much closer together. I think yeah, the other thing for us, it. no, I know, my daughter tells me every night, which is so cute, because she's still watching. You know what I'm saying? That's just hurting me. Um, um, you know what I am, um, what is interesting for us and a lot of people is obviously we couldn't tell anyone. So that was, you know, mm. it wasn't like it is nowadays where people are like, actually, which is great if they can come out and they can talk about it in the public eye and they can be like, look, this, you know, check yourself, prevent this, this is preventative. You need to, you know, we very much went into a kind of closed doors, nobody's can know, you know, it was, it was a very kind of fragile moment, but also there was like nobody, you couldn't tell anyone. So I was at work, you know, we were all just yeah. carrying on as if nothing was happening, which is really um, shit. Yeah. When she passed, I mean, just internally, like, obviously I know how sad it was, but, you know, of course, but like, how did you guys, like, was there, was there a moment where it was like, because it's so soon for, to, to feel like the torch was passed, you know, but did that kind of catapult any desire for you, like Mary, to really move into your work differently or how you looked at raising, you know, your kids or having kids. We didn't or like, have what kids. Did... She didn't meet any of our kids, unfortunately. 
I think Stella and I were inspired by mum when we were close to mum. So I think um, it sort of, we had that, the, we had that time with her to talk to her about her career and we talked about food and we talked about art and sort of her, you know, we got to sort of hang out with her to a certain degree. So I think that's a really interesting question though. In when, when did we realise that we were, you know, it was our job My, to make do her proud? But I kind of, I was doing photography and food with her. I worked in mum's archive with her. So for me, it was a bit, maybe a bit of a different thing yeah. for you. Because I was like doing exhibitions with her and the yeah. food thing, yeah, whereas Stella yours is probably quite different. Yeah, when I was in Paris, I was working in, you know, and I was heading up a, a, a brand in Paris at the time. And so it didn't really occur to me. I mean, again, we'd always, we'd always, we'd never compromise. I think that's one thing I was aware of, regardless of the question, is that not working in any way with animal products. Mm. Um, I was the only one in the fashion industry, for sure, and I'm still one of the very few. But 25 years ago, I was certainly, I was an absolute freak of nature. And I was really aware, I, became, I remember becoming aware in an interview one day, I was like, oh, that is the privilege that I was given in my chosen profession. That's where privilege really comes into play, that I didn't have to compromise my belief system for my chosen right. career. And um, because there's a lot of people that work in the fashion industry that don't want to work with animal products, but they have to, to pay the rent. So right. I think I was doing that anyway, because, you know, was, I would never do, never, you know, be a hypocrite and, and work with animal products. But I think there became an age where I, after mum passed away, where I was quite aware mm. that there was more magnitude and weight to what I was doing and actually I could do much, much more with it and yeah, to make her proud. To her proud. Yeah, she, she would be so proud of you. She the legacy so of, of what oh my God. and dad started. Yeah. <gasps> and then, do you, I, wait, I just want to know, are you, do you want the tears or what, what's going on here? Okay. I just, <laughs> well, I just think that, I think that there's, you know, you, you guys have lived and have led extraordinary lives. It's very yeah. rare. Right. So I think it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. We want to because... do her proud. We want to do her proud. Like with the but cooking show, it, as you say now, the though, cooking show, there had never, I've never been on TV presenting a cooking show. And to be asked me to do that, <laughs> suddenly it's like, well, do you want to do the first ever vegetarian cooking show on Discovery Plus? It's like, uh, scared, but we have mm -hmm. to make my proud. And it's like, yes, this is an amazing opportunity. But you're so not only, I, I think it's tied into, we're not only making our parents proud and mum, who's obviously not here and she's watching us right now, we're making her proud. She'd love this more than anything. Also, mum would be the first person to say, fuck it, don't do anything. You're all like really busy and stressed and you've got eight children between two rooms <laughs> and give it a break. You've proven yourself. Like mum would be like, why are you still doing this, number one? Yeah, go mm -hmm. into the country and go yeah. enjoy your life. But I think also there is definitely We're an aspect of... Um, yeah. But there's definitely an aspect of having children and having the mum we had. And she was the best mum and the most loving, natural, unaffected, like pure angel mum. So I think there is definitely... When I'm screaming at my children going, fuck, you feel mom going, honey, honey, Stella. I plan to have kids at that point. I literally, mom died, and a week later, I was like, I am going to become an alcoholic. I'm going to drink. I'm going to get trashed for the rest of my life. And literally, right. a week later, 
I, I like probably mum was like, what one thing can I do to stop her yeah. from doing all that? And I was literally pregnant a week later. Oh, that's and amazing. And he was born oh. in a year. Oh. So that kind of started that ball rolling. When was the moment in both of your careers where you were like, you know, I'm, I'm a grown up now? It, it happened gradually because every single one of my reviews and interviews was only ever, what's it like being Paul McCartney's daughter? And every headline was with a little help from her friends and like every single thing in my life was like, really? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it never, yeah. ever ended. Yeah. So I remember gradually coming out of that and then it was like, you actually have proven yourself and, you know, sustainability and all that kind of stuff. And um, I guess one of the more recent moments is when I actually was invited to go to the G7 in Cornwall with your president and um, seven world leaders. And it was me and Prince Charles asked me to go. And I was kind of like, what, really? Like, surely, you know, I just thought when somebody says it's just you and the seven world leaders and Prince Charles <laughs> and the Queen, they're like, oh, yeah. That's like, really, that's 50 people in a room. And actually, I'm busy and I've got a collection to do. And I remember calling dad and saying, oh, my God, I think like tomorrow I'm going down to go. Like, it was that short notice. And I remember calling him going, actually, I'm a bit nervous. And he was like, oh, you know, just remember they're normal people and they've got a problem and you you have solutions for their problems. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm like a grown up now. You know, uh -huh. like, not mm -hmm. the time 100 where I, is that where you're going? Because I will never talk <laughs> no, to you no. again. No, you were definitely not a grown-up that night. <laughs> no, but that was a big moment. The time 100 was like a coming out party almost that because it was a, such a big deal. It was like you and Oprah and, Can I, you know. do you want to hear quickly that, that story? It's such a traumatic, like I'm sweating. I hate you. Oh, it was the worst night of my life. So basically... I get the time 100. I'm like, I'm half American, major. This is like, boy, everyone, all my family in America are going to really love me. They'll be really proud of me. So I'm like, oh, I need, they're like, you've got a table, bring some friends. So I'm like, Kate, do you want to come? Liv, do you want to come? Husband, I can't remember. I literally don't even remember the night apart from the, the horror. I'm walking into the room and the woman from time 100 says, Stella, oh, you know, we were wondering if you could just say a few words. Like there's a couple of people will get up that are receiving the time 100. And if you could just say a couple of words, like one memory, that inspired you from your childhood. And I'm like, blood comes out my body. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you can't say no, but you're like, what do you mean? Oh, it's no big deal. Da, da, da. They're like, just busk it, just busk it. I'm like, no, surely it's no biggie, no biggie, no biggie. Look at her face. Look at Kate's like drawing out blood from me. <laughs> so we go to the table and it's like the night begins. And they're like, and the first person to get up and speak, Michelle freaking Obama. So Michelle Obama gets up, she's on a podium, she gets on stage, it's like a big She's just got in. They've just got in. It's like a week after they get into the White House. The guy who writes all the speeches is getting a time on her. And I'm like, okay, so that's the first person to get up with this little impromptu speak. Second person to get up, Oprah Winfrey. So Oprah gets up and she gets every time 100. She's like, and she's Oprah Winfrey. So she's like, wah, 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 And they're like, and next. Stella McCartney, and literally... She had to follow Oprah. Oh, my God. It was like, okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> she had to follow Michelle Obama. And Oprah. And Oprah. I cannot remember one word that I said. All I remember is looking down occasionally at Kate, and she was like... <laughs> she was so horrified. And my husband going... <laughs> 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 just like... What the fuck are you 
And I remember looking around oh, and they, they had all the screens and all I could, they just had me on every screen. Oh. And I was like, it was a very, it's like <laughs> a, a very an acid trip. Yeah, it really was. Oh. It was it was a very unprepared big moment that wasn't expected. Did and you it was, did you come through or did uh, you not? She did. No. Yes, you did. No, it was I fine. I mean, it was I fine. Did, you you you. Alive. She did. It, it was a disaster, and I don't remember <laughs> one word that I said. You know when you're mid speech and you don't even know what's coming out of your mouth. It, it was that moment where you're like, blah, 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 and you can't even oh. hear words. I mean, it was, it was horror, but horror. <laughs> So you, you blacked out, basically. She blacked you out. You blacked out. I mean, she did. Right. It was like a blackout. <laughs> but, you know, I've watched you grow up, right? And so I've seen from, you know, but there's there's a, there's a something that I think will always set Stella and Marion and the whole family apart from everything else, which is there is this, intr- like, just honest, you're always honest. You really do believe in what you guys believe and you follow through with everything that you do. And you're all so committed to your families, no matter what. And like that, I think, comes through in in everything that, that, that you guys do. Well, like that, you-, you really are carrying the legacy, which is why I said that. You know, I think your mom would be more than proud. She would, she's just, she is. She's yeah. just shining on you guys all the time, you yeah. know. And, and what and, and what's it, it like to be Paul McCartney's daughter? Mary, tell us about the new cookbook that you're doing. I want you guys to be one of my um, subjects because basically I'm coming up with a recipe and then I'll come to you and bring it to you. We eat it together. I take portraits of you and then it'll be the... Oh, it's called Feeding Creativity, so it's creative people. You all have to be anecdote, anecdote, from, <laughs> anecdote from the day and the, and the recipes. And so that, I'm working on that with Tasha. So that'll be oh, a fine. Actually, one thing that I, I did yesterday that I kind of realized was quite cool, actually. I kind of underplayed it. It's um, International Women's Month. And I just designed for Minnie Mouse, the first ever pantsuit. She's actually not in a dress. Oh my that God. That is great. That's oh, the that's cutest cool. thing. You know, Ronnie's like obsessed with Minnie Mouse, which is weird because we don't watch. I'll hook you up. It. Yeah. But is that, I, yesterday I was like, I had to do a little thing for it. And I was like, actually, that's kind of amazing. Not only is it an animal, but one of the most famous female animals. And she's only ever been in a dress. God damn it. We got to do the speed round. Yeah. One word to describe the other as a child. Stella was very funny. Oh, one word. Okay. That's okay. Stella was funny. Uh, Can I do this too? Entertaining. Entertaining. Stella was bossy, but I am too, which is why we're really... (laughs) Mary's perfect. And Kate's fucking bitch. Okay, one word to describe the other now. Friend. Yeah, Mary, best friend. Oh, you guys. Yeah, we love each other. One word to describe the ch- your childhood. Chaotic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say one way to, ch- to do our childhood would be um, opposites. One minute you're in a field, the next minute you're in a 200,000 mm-hmm. state. Just opposing. Yeah. 
That's not. Um, we're not very good on the one word. I hate this shit. By the way, <laughs> favorite place. Favorite place to be as a kid. Scotland. We could have said that at the same time. One, two, three. Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> Who's more spontaneous? We're both quite Dumb. similar. I would I say. Know, I would find that hard to answer. Which Who's more type A? Well, see how spontaneous my answer was. I went. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that we're both sort of similar. So I don't know. Let's, I, feel, I feel like the, these days we kind of do things spontaneously together. We're like, yeah. right, we're going to go off and do this and save a night somewhere and do it. Let's give that one to Stella. She's fine. Who's more type A? Inspiration. What is type A? Alpha. Yeah. Like, who's more you? like... <laughs> <Stella>. <laughs> I don't... Come on, guys. Come on. Uh, okay, who is... Who who is the mo- more creative cook? I'm gonna think maybe it's Mary. Mary. Yeah, sure. yeah. Who is more daring? Maybe Stella. Do you think? Back in the day, what are we talking now or past? Just in general. I'm going for it. I don't know. I think we're both fabulous. These are hard because it's like it's sort of it's very hard. We don't. We're more of debating. It doesn't mean that the other one isn't. No. Those things. Who's a stricter parent? Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> we got a double whammy. So not true. It is really? 100%. Stella thinks Mary's the stricter parent. <laughs> Mary thinks Stella is the stricter parent. Oh. What was your favorite I don't family tradition? My kids do the homework and the extra things. You like make them bed. Sort of I you do make them get a bed. I'm obsessed with them sleeping. Food wise, you're so much better with your kids than I. What was your favorite family tradition? Birthdays. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Cute. Favorite book as a kid? Charlotte's Web. Eloise at the Plaza. Oh, love that. Oh, that was one of mine. Oh, my God. First childhood crush? Um, <laughs> Jean <laughs> Wilder. <laughs> I loved Jean Wilder. Jean Wilder. <laughs> Jean Wilder. Oh, my God. That's oh, the best. He's the best. That's, that's the a good best one. childhood yeah. crush ever. Gene Wilder. <laughs> I don't know. Stella. I don't, Adam and the Ants are like really mm-hmm. idols. Actually, Bowie. Bowie all the way. Mm-hmm. Uncle David. David. It's a little bit incestuous and weird. Oh, wow. Um, first kiss. My first kiss was Luke Warren. Hi, Luke. Hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Mary. Mine was just any boy during kiss chase. We played kiss chase before school and I just. Any old, any Ollie, boy, Ollie any boy that chase. called me, I would yep. kiss. <laughs> <laughs> There's something called kissing girls where we run and the girls would be like, yeah, yeah. And like I tripped. I don't know. First concert is, can't happen with you guys. Wait. First concert yeah, that other, wasn't yeah. a Beatles. Ooh, uh, probably David Bowie. I went to, my sister Heather took me to see I don't know. No, actually, me and Stella went. I have a really childhood memory of us going to a Queen concert in Wembley Stadium. And then because mum and dad took us to the after party, and it was like, I remember opening, they took us to the thing and we had to go to bed because the hotel doors opened and it was like Elton John and somebody else there. And I was like, You have to go to bed. Me and Stella were like, Yay, party. And then they were like, You have to go into this room and go to sleep. And I was like, they did that all the time. <laughs> oh my God. Last question. 
Do you want to ask mm-hmm. it? So it's a two-part question. We've asked this to, we asked this to pretty much everybody. Um, if there's something about your sister, what is that one? What is that thing that you would love to take from? Meaning, or to emulate? Meaning, something that she has that you wish you did. And on the flip side of that, what is something that you would like to alleviate from your sibling? To where you wish that if that was gone, their life might be a little easier. Mm-hmm. Well, I can answer that first for Mary. I think Stella is, as I said before, I think she's incredibly funny. And she really, literally, I think if she wasn't a fashion designer, she should be a stand-up comedian. So I often am like, I wish I could be as funny as her. Literally, she is the person that makes me laugh and just so clever and funny. And if I was going to alleviate something, it would definitely be to sort of take any anxiety away from her and stress. Mm. I would say the same for alleviating. Mm. And for what I would want of yours, nothing. No, just the calm, unconditional overview that you have. You have a very, you're very good at processing and coming out quickly at a very, at a, at a very specific, pure, uncomplicated, but the right answer. Mm. Did you get what that then? I didn't get that. I got it. They got okay. it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to work on it. I love you guys. Thank you. I miss you. Thank you for coming on our podcast and sharing your relationship. Sibling Revelry is executive produced by Kate Hudson and Oliver Hudson. Producer is Allison Bresnik. Editor is Josh Windish. Music by Mark Hudson, a.k.a. Uncle Mark. If you want to show us some love, rate the show and leave us a review. This show is powered by Simplecast. writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.